Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. This is an Arsecast Extra Extra, I suppose. It is, and I should just point out from the start that there may be interruptions in this particular one because we're recording a bit late on a Friday. I'm waiting for a chimney sweep to arrive to my house, so I've got to be mindful of, of... of his work, obviously he's got to get a couple of little urchins up my chimney to do all the the cleaning and what have you. So I may have to take care of that when the time comes. But we should be okay, I think. <laughs> I have to say, when you, I texted you yesterday and said, "Oh, can you record at this time?" You said, "Yeah, I can, but I've got the chimney sweep coming." I mean, I've never—that's a sentence I've never heard anybody say, or, or certainly seen in a text message. It seemed delightfully incongruous, but I'm excited to see what happens with the chimney sweep. If he's not sending little urchins, how does he do it? I presume he's got a big brush on the end of a extendable stick type thing, a pole kind of yoke. Sure. That's what they do. I mean, I, I don't understand how this isn't part of your existence and your life. People have chimneys, you light a fire, and in order to stop the chimney going on fire, it needs to be cleaned every now and again. So that's what the chimney sweep is for. I think in London, a lot of the chimneys are blocked up, presumably by... The little children who are stuck in there forever. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But anyway, he's coming at some point. And, uh, you know, when when that time comes, uh, I'll I'll dash downstairs and, and take care of that. And we can pick up where we left off when he comes. But... Let's talk about what was, I think, a really enjoyable night of football last night. Arsenal 4, Seska Moscow 1. It could have been better. It could have been even greater. I think we could, if we wanted to, go down the road of going, well, we should have scored more. We could have scored more. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Oh, he's here. It's Dick Van Dyke. No. Step in time. No. <laughs> no, it's not. The dog will tell me when uh, he's here. We'll hear we'll hear the dog barking. I thought he barked there. Anyway, you know, we could go down that road and say, well, what you know, what if, what if it could have been better, we could have done this, we shouldn't have let in the away goal, etc. But I think when you win four one in a European quarterfinal in the first leg at home, you know, after everything that's gone on this season, I think it's incumbent on us to focus on the positives of last night. The caveat, of course, it doesn't mean everything is wonderful again. It just means that last night was really good fun. Yeah, and I also think in terms of the scoreline, you've got to think, well, would you have taken it before the game? And I don't think you'll find a single Arsenal fan out there who would have turned down a 4-1 victory in the quarterfinals of a European competition. So 
it's great. And, it, you know, yes, we could have scored a couple more, but that's a credit to our performance, really. And I suppose their kind of <laughs> Jurassic Age centre-halves who certainly uh, helped us in. But we were we were great going forward. I mean, really, if you're going to go down the avenue of we should have scored more, you'd also have to say maybe they should have scored one or two more as well. So yeah, I've got no complaints at all about that. Yeah, in, in fairness, the first half was, there were moments, weren't there, in the first half where you're thinking, oh, <laughs> thank goodness they're not that good at the old scoring yeah. thing or making the most of the space we've given them type crack that was going on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I'm sort of at the point now, I, I, I say this and I know, I know I'm going to contradict myself, so I'm aware of this before okay. anybody gives me a hard time or, or points to this particular bit of the podcast where I say, what is the point in worrying about Arsenal's defending? Because we know it's an area of weakness. It is not going to significantly improve uh, between now and May, right? We know that, mm. you know, there, we'll, we'll probably have some games where, you know, we look quite good defensively, but we know those flaws are there. They're always going to be there. And the thing for me this season was, okay, uh, the defensive part of part of it is a worry, um, but we haven't been able to offset it with the attacking play that's usually our trademark, our style, the way that we like to play, goes a long way to sort of balancing how bad we are defensively. And we've been bad offensively as well. And I think last night was very interesting in that we saw, I think, flashes of what the Arsenal we all want us to be is from an attacking point of view, right? I think so. And I think our emphasis is always going to be that way. If we're going to win this competition... I think it is going to be by playing good attacking football because look at what we did in January. We were struggling. It was midway through the season. We didn't go out and buy a centre-half. We didn't go out and buy a holding midfielder. We brought in Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. And, you know, Arsene Wenger has built this team hoping, hoping that it's going to be an exciting team to watch. It hasn't been for much of the season. But last night, it really was. And I thought, you know, obviously Lacazette was a big part of that. But the midfield in particular... There were shades of some of Wenger's better midfields in that performance. Mm. You don't want to go overboard on one game, but there were just moments of interplay between the likes of Ramsey, Xhaka, Ozil, Wilshire, which felt like what people term as Wengerball. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah, exactly. And, and just going back to the point I was making about not getting too stressed about the defence, I know the, the yeah. next time we do something stupid, I'm going to be going, oh, fucking Jesus. I know that. I'm just, you know, I just feel like... If we can get this attacking side of things right, then it will go some way to to offsetting that. And I think we did that to a large extent last night. I I agree with you. Some of the some of the combination play was really fantastic. I liked the way that we you know decided, hey Hector Bellerin, what if we got some players over there your side and and combined with you and gave you some passes in which you could get in behind their defence. That's where the first goal came from. He was involved, I think, in the move as well uh, for the disallowed goal. Or he's certainly overlapping a lot more last night than he did in previous games it just kind of shows that if it clicks the potential is there with the attacking players that we have to score goals and to create chances and uh, I, I was quite encouraged last night like you it's one game you can't go overboard on one game but you know after beating Milan after beating Stoke after beating Watford we, we've now uh, beaten Seska Moscow at home I mean I think it's what it was a 10, 10 goals in our last three home games. 
More than that, is it? Mm-hmm. 13 goals in our last four home games. You know, we've be, we've begun to find something that works from an attacking point of view, and that hasn't been the case for much of this season. No, and I think also one of the big questions going into this match is, you know, would the squad be able to rouse themselves? Would they be up for it? It's a, a European quarterfinal, but, you know, they were, and it was in stark contrast to the, the atmosphere, the tempo of the performance at the weekend, Suddenly, the team came to life. And I know that's partly to do with personnel, but you just felt that they were switched on for this one. From yeah. the very first minute, I think I think Mkhitaryan had our first real chance of the game. There was an Ozil cutback, and he was sort of on the left-hand side of the mm. box, and he, he fired it wider than near post. And after he did that, I just saw off, off the ball, Ozil and Mkhitaryan have a little high five, and there was a sense of... I don't know. I, I felt like this was a midfield, particularly, and a, a front line, perhaps too, that enjoyed playing together last night, and that was so so good to see because it hasn't felt like that for much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, we scored a well, we scored, we put the ball in the net uh, mm. before we actually got the first goal, and that was such a beautiful move. It was lovely football as well, wasn't it? it was kind of fast. It was. It was pacey, the, the way we moved the ball. There was a real directness and incision to it. It's such a contrast to getting the ball out wide, coming back, going across, going back, going across, going across. You know, there was real, real uh, desire to make things happen. I think Aaron Ramsey played a big part of that. Mesut Ozil as well. I thought the two of them, you know, almost 10 out of 10 performances from both. And when those two guys together are on the same wavelength, then... You have A, a wonderful creator, and B, somebody whose instincts for getting into the box in the right area uh, are are just uh, unerring at times. You know, we talked, uh, I'm sure, in the past of the way Freddie Jumberg, for example, would time his runs and get in there and get on the end of these Dennis Bergkamp passes. And there's something like that with with Aaron Ramsey. We'll come to the other goals, but I want to talk about the third goal um, first because it was... What a goal. What a goal. But you know what I love about this goal? And the more I watch it, the more I'm convinced that I'm right here. If you look at it first time, you go, oh my goodness, what a brilliantly improvised finish from Aaron Ramsey. You know, the ball was there. He, you know, he could only do one thing with it. The more I look at it, the more I'm convinced that's what he wanted to do. Like he engineered that situation. You know, he held his run. He pointed to exactly where he wanted the ball. And the timing of his run... I saw that. I love that point. Yeah, his movement towards the ball. He took a chance, uh, A, that Ozil would put it in the right place. And I think that's... uh, You could make an assumption that he's going to do that because of his quality. But he also uh, weighed up the possibility that the goalkeeper was going to come. So if you put it between the player and the goalkeeper, goalkeeper is going to come out to try and narrow the angle. And then what have you got? You've got the, the, the opportunity to flick it over him I think the whole thing was deliberate and engineered by Aaron Ramsey. That makes it a much better goal uh, on top of how brilliant it is anyway and how beautiful it is. I think it is an absolutely extraordinary goal. And we have seen finishes a little bit like this before. You know, you think of Giroud's scorpion kick last season, even Mkhitaryan. I don't think I've ever seen one quite like this where he he gauges the run of the goalkeeper and deliberately chips him with his heel. Mm. I mean, that's absolutely audacious. It shows such awareness. And I love, I know you mentioned it there, but I love that point. I love that he shows Ozil exactly where he wants the pass. And he knows he's got a player there who can find it who can play it perfectly. I mean, the pass is is sensational too. So 
It's an amazing goal. And actually, I've just been watching it back while you're talking. And there are a couple of touches by Ozil in the build-up to yeah, the goal yeah. that really shouldn't go forgotten. He actually produces a very similar flick to the one that Ramsey scores with uh, yeah. shortly before. It's an uh, immaculate touch to find Lacazette. He knocks it back to, I think it's Monreal. Then Monreal's pass to Ozil isn't the best. No. It's not the best pass. It's sort of the only black mark in the goal. But Ozil's first touch to receive that pass, it's behind him and his first touch not only pulls it in front of him, it kills the ball dead and essentially makes it a dead ball set piece for him to just clip that pass into Ramsey. It is unbelievable from both of those two. And it's, you know, Ramsey, I think his technique is an element of his game that is so often underrated. We talk about his athleticism, we talk about his desire, but his technical level is absolutely astonishing. Mm. I mean, among British players... It's probably unrivaled. I mean, you know, what England would do for a midfielder like Ramsey in their setup, they just don't have anybody of that calibre. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it, it was it was one of those goals where, a bit like, you know, Jack Wilshire against Norwich or, or Giroud last season, everyone kind of gasped as it went in because you, you knew you'd seen something really, really special. Yeah, I totally agree with you about the... Uh about the technique of Ramsey. We've seen it uh, lots of times before. People have this perception of him, I think, as uh, a hard runner, somebody who's got a great engine, and that's very, very true. He he really is a fantastic athlete when he's fully fit. He is he, he's brilliant, and he's got this ability to get up and down the pitch and to make those runs, and it's, you know, the runs you don't see as well, the ones where he makes a run into the box and nothing happens because the ball goes the other way. He does that a lot, but yeah, technically he is fantastic. He has scored some amazing goals. I'm just watching it again here. It's so deliberate. It's just a beautiful piece of football. Uh, you know, it's... it's uh, it's dependent as well on having somebody who can do what Mesut Ozil does, you know, to give him that pass. I don't know that there are too many people who could have played the ball exactly where he wanted it, uh, at exactly the right pace, in exactly the right position between him, between the goalkeeper, you know, to lure the goalkeeper out and finish. It really is just a, a brilliant, brilliant goal. Um, it's just one of those that's, that's going to be played over and over again, I think. Yeah, I have to say I really liked what uh, what uh, Tim Stillman said about uh, Aaron Ramsey on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this, but he said uh, it summed up a lot of what I've always liked about Ramsey. He would have got an untold shit if it hadn't come off, but he's calm and confident enough not to let fear overtake his decision-making. In short, he has the wisdom to ignore the crowd. And I, I do think that's true. I think mm. Ramsey, he'll, he'll often attempt the audacious and he doesn't really seem to have much fear of consequence. And if it goes wrong, he'll try it again. He, he makes his decisions based on his own confidence in his own ability and he never hides. And there's so much to admire about his performance last night, but that moment really did sum it up. I mean, it was just a, a brilliant, brilliant goal. We won't see many better this season. No, I agree. And that's a, I think that's a really good point. You know, I, I think you could maybe put that in contrast with what happened a bit later on with Alex Uwobi, a young player yeah. who is absolutely low on confidence, who doesn't have the, the confidence in his own ability to shoot on goal when he's cleaned through, put through by Ozil. Most players, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, 
would go for the finish there. And it's actually a finish that Iwobi has pulled off a few times, that sort of Henri-esque curler where he's in a perfect position to try that. But I think his confidence is at a point where he went, oh, I'll just try and make the safe option and pass to Lacazette at the back post. Now, I don't, I've got no idea what Lacazette was doing or what he was trying or why or how he missed that one. But I think you can contrast those two players. It is a quality, I think, in Ramsey where it doesn't work and he does get stick for it sometimes and he frustrates people. But the offset of that is when it works, it's usually hugely effective. You know, he's he's a great passer of the ball as well. I think people overlook that. Uh, you know, they think he's just a guy who wants to get in the box and score, but he's got good vision. He's a good passer, good weight to his pass. He can create as well. He has, I think, 10 assists this season, if I'm right. Yeah. It's... Um, nine goals and 10 assists, you know, so that's a, that's a very, very productive midfield player, particularly from a midfield that has not produced a great deal this season, central midfield. I mean, you know, when you look at Jack and when you look at Ramsey, Elneny, uh, Wilshire, uh, Coquelin, who played in there for a while, you know, the players that we've got in there don't generally produce a great deal. And I think any team that needs or has desires or, or ambitions to win things needs at least one or two central midfield players who can chip in with goals and assists on a regular basis. We have one, as it is, Xhaka a little bit, uh, so maybe one and a half. Uh, but, I, you know, it, it just puts into um, into relief here the, the, the need we have to ensure that Aaron Ramsey's future remains at Arsenal. I think we've got some questions on that, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But first goal, the finish, I thought, uh, very calm, very composed, not unlike the one he scored quite recently. I can't remember who it was, but it was a low, hard ball across and he just he just cushioned it into the net. It was a good finish. It was a good finish and a good move. And actually, if you take it all the way back, I mean, inevitably, it's going to be a bit of a, a Ramsey loving on this show, but he actually wins the ball for Arsenal deep inside, uh, not by his own half, but, you know, about 40 yards up the pitch, wins the ball by muscling a guy off it, uh, starts the move and is there to finish it. And Arsene Wenger spoke after the game and said the big difference in Ramsey's performance now is how calm and composed his finishing is. I mean, obviously we saw that with his second goal yesterday, but this was another good example. And he holds his run. He does a, it's a classic striker move. You know, everyone chases into the six-yard box. He just pulls back to around the penalty spot. And uh, yeah, a fantastic calm side foot finish. He doesn't thrash at it anymore. He's very, very confident in those areas. And mm. He'll look at this game and think, you know, we say Arsenal should have scored more. He was probably quite unlucky to not complete his hat-trick, wasn't there? There was a few chances later in the game where it really looked like it was going to go that way for him. Yeah, if only he could have added some calmness to his finishing. I think he would have scored a couple more. There was one <laughs> one in particular, I think, where it, it, it almost fell for Wilshire and he put it over the bar. But look, that's nitpicking, I think. Second goal was a penalty and it came very shortly after they got the equaliser. Uh, that equaliser uh, was daft. I think that was really careless. Oof football from Keystone Arsenal Cup stuff, wasn't it, it really was yeah. it was just slapstick um, it was it's like it reminded it me Staffy and then Shaka yeah beating it up in the air well I mean I think Shaka Shaka just sort of uh, couldn't quite believe where the ball was and stuck a foot out and put it up in the air so <laughs> between Mustafi's dreadful clo- I don't know what he was thinking hooking it back into that area Shaka's uh, um, Shaka's sort of miss kick which went up in the air and then Koscielny uh, you know, a player of his experience should know better than to flatten a guy on the edge of the box. So it was, yeah, uh, I, it was bad. I saw, I saw a lot of uh, stick for Koscielny for that, and I, I don't mean to play favourites, but I couldn't help but think maybe there was a little bit of uh, 
frustration in that challenge at what was going on around him. I think he sort of thought, I can't believe I've got to clear this ball. And yeah, it was clumsy and a very good free kick, I have to say, from the supposed Arsenal transfer target. Oh, Golovin, is that his name? Yeah, Golovin. It was a very good free kick, top corner. And look, again, it was about how we were going to respond and how could we respond to this. Milan, I think, scored first, didn't they, when they uh, came to the Emirates? So uh, we have have shown in the last couple of European games that we're capable of reacting when things don't quite go as as well as we would like. I think, you know, we were in uh, fairly early stage of the match and 1-1, it's far from uh, a nightmare scenario or anything like that. But we went up the other end, Ozil got fouled. Uh, I I don't understand what the rule is now uh, because I think in previous seasons that would have been a penalty and a red card because he was clean through on goal it's a clear goal scoring opportunity and the guy took him out in the box you know four yards from goal how is it not a red card now I understand they've changed Mm -hmm. the rule you know this triple jeopardy thing that that happens well that only happens with goalkeeper doesn't it Um, but you know the double punishment of red card and penalty they've been a bit more lenient on that but is it not a yellow card at least yeah, and I, I tell you what's curious as well. The referee didn't seem to hit initially, did he? It looked like he had uh, assistance from his assistant, which I suppose is what you want. But, I mean, it was clear as day, and I was surprised there was no card too. It does seem sensible maybe to get rid of that red card rule, but there's got to be a yellow card for a foul as mm. cynical and potentially damaging as that. You know, Arsenal did score the penalty, but there's obviously there's no guarantee. But it was nicely taken by Lacazette, who went, I think, the opposite corner to he did at the weekend. Mm got a little bit of practice in last week you know after the uh, after the one against Stoke it probably had an effect on his confidence uh, taking that particular penalty and I know he's a very good penalty taker and has been for Leon down the years but you know if he'd come back and hadn't scored in the Stoke game pressure's on a bit here European night maybe it would have had uh, some kind of impact but you know good penalty put it away and uh, that's 2-1 the third goal we've spoken about which was uh, absolutely sensational. And then the, the fourth goal, I think, was really nice also. Lacazette, mm-hmm. uh, Xhaka sent uh, Mesut Ozil overlapping down the left-hand side, um, you know, making making this sort of run a traditional winger might make. Um, uh, his cross-in was excellent. Lacazette's touch and finish, absolutely superb. And isn't it quite interesting that Ozil, who for the first few years of his Arsenal career, We've seen almost exclusively played as a pure number 10, a central player. I think he's really starting to thrive in a, a role that takes him into wide areas often and, and ostensibly sees him starting in wide areas. Mm. I, I don't know what I ascribe that to. If it's just making... I think, you know, he's got a lot of freedom from that position. It's not like he's playing as a winger, but I do think maybe it makes him a little bit trickier for, for defenders or defensive midfielders to follow and pick up. And he's so good at finding space, be that in the channels or be that in central areas. I, I think that's actually been quite an interesting development for him. Mm. Um, and, and something promising for our team because it enables us at the moment we're doing it with Wilshire, but maybe next season to slightly strengthen our central midfield area and keep Ozil in the side. But this was a brilliant cross and a brilliant take. And I agree about the confidence Lacazette showed. I thought he was really good, particularly in the first half. I mean, that's a bit of a pattern in his Arsenal career that he has a great first mm. half and doesn't quite match up to that level in the second. But I think, you know, that confidence that he gained from scoring at the weekend, we probably... Oh, Aubameyang won for that and uh, a brilliant, brilliant take on his left foot. 
Uh, interesting numbers for Mesut Ozil, actually. He's now on 14 assists for the season, which is uh, which is impressive, I think. You know, he's, uh, what's his record, 19 or 20? One season wasn't there. I know he got most of them in the Premier League, um, which is why it was setting a record. But 14 assists, five goals. Uh, and I think it is an interesting point where, you know, if you looked at the personnel available to us last night, I would have said Mesut Ozil perhaps is the guy who should have played where Jack Wilshire played. Um, mm. I was surprised in some ways that Jack Wilshire started because he's been... Uh, He's looked tired, I think, and he looked tired again last night. Uh, he didn't quite look at the same pace as the rest of the the front players or the players who were doing things in the final third. But, uh, you know, the role it gives Ozil, the ability to go from the left or from the right, I mean, he tends to... He tends to sort of uh, end up on the left a little bit more, doesn't he? Because I think he just feels a bit more naturally confident uh, over there and and uh, he can create um, from that side without having to cut back. But uh, he's, he's putting together some good numbers and uh, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this team is beginning to find its attacking verve at just the right stage of the season in Europe because, uh, you know, you look back at the game against uh, Milan, five goals against Milan over the two legs, four goals in the first leg here against Seska Moscow. Uh, you know, that's nine goals. These aren't um, nobodies we're playing. I know they're not the greatest teams in Europe, but they're still not teams we could take for granted in any way. Uh, and, and we're doing good things against them. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, uh, it's definitely encouraging. I mean, when you look at the other results last night, you do have to recognise there are some very strong teams in this competition, probably stronger than any we face so far. Obviously, Atletico, the, the one everyone's thinking of, but I think you'd have to put Lazio in that category too. But we, you can't help but be encouraged by it. You can't help but be encouraged by it. And Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Amzi, you know, the fact that those guys are beginning to develop an understanding is really, really promising. And it's amazing, isn't it? You know, we've had a really tumultuous season, really low periods. You think back to that Brighton match, the subsequent interlal, really felt like our campaign was kind of on the floor. And now this European campaign has given us all something to hold on to and keep us mm. interested and put our focus and our attention into. I mean, it's such a lifeline for the manager. Where he'd be without it, I don't know. But... Well, I do know, and it's not good, but it's as a fan, I'm just relieved that there is something to be interested in, be passionate Mm. about, be excited about. And in fairness to the players in this competition, they are delivering so far. Yep, 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 absolutely. I know as uh, the closer you get to a final, the more exciting things become. And look, you know, I, I found myself enjoying an Arsenal match. I won't say for the first time in ages, but I really enjoyed that last night just because of the way we played and the fact that there was end product to the way we played. You know, I've seen us play very well before and move the ball well and create chances, but not not take them. I think there was an efficiency in the first half anyway to, to our finishing. In the second half, you know, what I liked was that in previous games where we've been three or four nil up at halftime, and it's happened a couple of times, hasn't it? Um, I'm trying to think of the games. Maybe there was an Everton one. I can't remember. But, you know, you could sense that in the second half, there was very much a case that the team took their foot off the gas. 
that they said, yeah. this game is won. There's no point busting our hole uh, for another 45 minutes. We'll just cruise through this second half. I didn't find that to be the case yesterday with Arsenal. I thought there was at least a desire to score more. We, I think we had 10 shots in the second half. Uh, we had good chances. We should have scored a couple of them. It, it could have been better uh, from a scoreline point of view. Uh, and I think that, to me, was really encouraging and very just enjoyable and just great to be able to wake up in the morning and think about an Arsenal game and not, and not go, oh, fuck. And, you know, to, to, to be able to think about writing about Arsenal and go, oh, this is good. I'm, I'm happy to write about something and to try and express how I feel about this in a really positive way. You know, I'm it's a, maybe it's a small nugget of joy in what has been a, a difficult season, but I'm happy for it all the same. Yeah, I was too. And I was happy to see the reaction online, on social media and also in the stands. I have to say that, it, you know, at the start, it didn't look particularly full of that game. But often on a weeknight, it doesn't feel, feel right up at kickoff. And by the end of the match or, well, not quite the end, but say by the start of the second half, that stadium was more full than it has been, certainly, for a lot of, uh, a lot of the recent home matches. Mm. And there was a good atmosphere. And they look, even in the second half, they played some great stuff. Ramsey pushed forward uh, and he and Ozil at times were just completely controlling the attacking play, weren't they? Some of mm. their link-up play and, you know, they were almost directing the action between them. It was exciting. It was exciting. And even though we didn't add more goals, I liked that there was the hunger to do it. Yeah. I liked that we we recognised where we were strong. We played to our strengths. We had the correct emphasis in our play. Uh, and they couldn't live with us, really. I mean, look, they're, they're no great shakes. I know that, you know, they've they beat Leon. They've done all right in this competition, but they just couldn't handle us. And you have to be at this point very confident, don't you, of our progression to a European semi-final? Yeah, absolutely. It sets us up beautifully for the second leg. You know, a four-one win, three goals. They're going to have to come and play if they want to have a go. They're going to have to come and really attack us. And if they come and really attack us, mm. then we've got players who can hurt them on the break. If we play anywhere like we played last night, there were lots of chances for us to to hit them on the break. A couple of them didn't work out, but I thought there was a a, a bit of a bit more focus there in terms of how we attacked. And, I, you know, you can't help but fancy your chances. You beat a team 4-1. I know it's at home, but, you know, if we can do anything close to what we did last night, then we're going through to a semi-final. And then, who knows? Who knows? It's uh, It puts you in great position. Uh, and you're just three, two games away from a final. And it is something to hang on to. It is something to, to I won't say cling to, but something to give us hope and something to uh, that could bring us real joy at the end of the season. Exactly. I mean, if we if we score a goal in Russia, they need five to go through. So mm. even with this Arsenal team, I think, <laughs> I think we can afford to feel pretty good about things. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, it's just fantastic. It really does whet the appetite for, for a potential semi-final and, oh, and beyond mm. and beyond. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's just nice, isn't it, to be talking about positively about what the future might hold. Certainly is. Okay, we are going to take a break uh, right now. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. We do not scrape any of your data, by the way. Chimney sweep update, James. He's here. Yeah. He's here. Has he got a big brush with him? I assume so. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't asked him to take out his tools, you know. Um, and inspect sure. them. Fair enough. Which is, I think, you know, uh, polite. Uh, no, he's going to work away downstairs. I've just had to put the uh, the dog out the back because the last thing I need is uh, a big sooty German shepherd wandering through the house and, and everything else. So uh, I think we're all set. He's going to give me a shout when he's finished down there. So there may be an interruption to this. But that's uh, that's the lie of the land. I don't know how many urchins he brought either, but that's, um, that's uh, not my concern. <laughs> right. Questions. Do you want to go first? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll go with this. It's from uh, Jonas Steen, who's at Tromso Jonas on Twitter. And Jonas says, will you, Andrew, and James do a Wenger, i.e. realise that Europa League is now our main competition <laughs> and switch from Monday to Friday like Wenger switched Ospina and Czech? Well, the only reason he switched Ospina and Czech is because Ospina had an injury, right? We all looked at that team last night and thought, yeah. oh, he's done it. He's done it. He's decided to play Petr Cech in Europe. David Ospina, will he be unhappy? Will he have the uh, Colombian sulky face on? I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know. I just I made think it, it up. it is. I've watched, if, if you've watched Narcos, you know about the Colombian sulky face. I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get into Narcos. Just couldn't do it. Yeah. It's weirdly sort of between a documentary drama, isn't it? It doesn't quite nail it as it's either too, one of those two Do you know things. what the problem is for me? It's too HD. That's the problem. It's supposed to be the 80s, but everything is too HD. And the 80s weren't in HD. We didn't have HD yeah. in the 80s, for goodness sake. Everything was kind of blurry. It was. Did you see in blurry. You saw in SD. In oh, the 80s, yeah, absolutely. You? Yeah, it was amazing when life was upgraded to HD and now we've got 4K and Super HD. These kids today, they don't know when they got it made. I know, you know, for, yeah. for our parents, James, life was in black and white. So, you know. Of course. Um, like dogs. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that, that's why, that's beside the point. Anyway, um, are we going to switch? No, we're not going to switch. We're going to stick with the Mondays, but because it's uh, because of the schedule and the way the games are going, it's a bit difficult for me sometimes to uh, to organize uh, uh, people for Friday morning. People have things to do and what have you, and uh, I'm not saying you have nothing better to do, but it's just not kind of this easy. guy, obviously. No, <laughs> uh, no we're, we're uh, not going to do that. But uh, yeah. Do you know what's weird is that the final after well, all these Thursdays, the finals on a Wednesday. Really? A Wednesday? Yeah. On the 16th, I think. And so it's like, you know, they spend all season luring us in with these Thursdays. You clear out all your Thursdays until the summer, 
then they plonk the final on a Wednesday just to sort of tease you like you're mm. you can pretend you're a Champions League team for one night only but they moved the Champions League final to Saturday now so what's going on I don't know it's crazy scheduling just on the uh, Ospina Czech thing and obviously Czech is going to play in the yeah. Europa League for the next couple of games anyway because Ospina is going to be two or three weeks out um, we have a question from Milhausen, who's at Ian Miller 84 and he says I'd quite like to see us give Macy some Premier League minutes do you think Wenger will go for that now that Ospina is out so given the importance of Petr Cech for Europe can he risk playing him in the Premier League if he goes uh, and plays on Sunday and picks up an injury? That could be a bit mm-hmm. of a problem. So how do you think he might approach that? Well, I think if there's a game to give Macy a go, it might be this Sunday. I mean, we're at home to a, a struggling Southampton side, aren't we? And mm. uh, they're having a tough time of it. I, I, you know, the Premier League essentially is a busted flush for us. I think we can afford to take chances. And Macy, when he did play in the cup competitions, I thought looked decent. I mean, he's certainly a pretty physically imposing guy and his handling looked all right. I, I would actually be in favour of that because our goalkeeping situation, as we've talked about many times on the podcast, will need addressing this summer. Ospina's likely to go. Uh, who knows what will become of Emmy Martinez. So I think there is an opportunity for a goalkeeper to be second or third choice in the squad. And Macy signed a new contract, maybe give him a chance. Yeah, I'd, I'd be all in favour. Would you concur? Uh, yeah, I mean, it would seem sensible, wouldn't it? Because if Czech picks up an injury, uh, he's had a bit of a groin problem, hasn't he, throughout this season, then you're going into a, a second leg away from home. I know we're in a good position, but do you want to be playing a rookie goalkeeper there? Do you want to be playing a rookie goalkeeper against whoever we might get in the semi-final? You know, the teams that we could face are very, very good, very experienced teams, and you need... I think he needs to start prioritising his uh, team selections when it comes to Europe because that is the be-all and end-all for us now. And yeah, why not? And it, it is a good chance not just to give Macy some Premier League minutes, but also some of the other young players some Premier League minutes too um, because we are going to rotate quite considerably, I think. Maybe not so much for this Sunday, but I, I think... Uh, as we make more progress, we will definitely rotate uh, in the Premier League because we want to keep the players fresh for the competition that matters. Absolutely. I mean, Lacazette's a really good example. We saw last night, you know, what an upgrade he can be on Welbeck, how important he is to our European challenge. So you can't really justify starting him in every Premier League game because mm. if you lose him, you've only got one striker left. So, you know, I think there will be heavy, heavy rotation that will grow heavier as the campaign wears on. Just on the goalkeeping situation, we had this question from... Uh, Hang on, just one sec. Dr. Zebra. Hang on one sec, oh, my phone is going. Sorry about that. We uh, we had a question from Dr. Zebra. Is that what you were saying? I was. I don't know if he is a zebra who is a doctor or a, do- a doctor who attends to zebras. It's unclear. Well, they're, they're called but, vets. Oh, I knew there was a name for it. Anyway, Dr. Zebra. So we assume he is a zebra that is a doctor. Yeah. That's the only logical explanation. <laughs> 
He says, hey, guys, we know that Czech is number one, but who will Wenger pick for Europe when Espina is fit? Do you think that Espina's injury kind of grants, if Czech does well in the Europa League, do you think he could keep his place all the way to a hypothetical final? It's interesting. I, you know, I, if it were me, you know what I would do. I think you would do the same thing. You'd stick with Petr Cech because out of the two goalkeepers, I think he's the best one. And when it comes to winning a trophy, you play your best team. You want your best goalkeeper in there. And for me, that's Czech. Whereas Arsene Wenger, um, perhaps in in a similar way to the point that Tim Stillman was making about Aaron Ramsey, Arsene Wenger is quite similar, isn't he? In that he will make decisions. Yeah, certainly that he feels, whether they're right or wrong, but he'll make the decision completely uninfluenced by the reaction of the crowd or what people are going to say about it. So, you know, he will pick Ospina for a cup final, as he did last uh, last season, whereas I would have said, thanks very much for getting us uh, here, Ospina, or playing your part, but I'm going to play our best goalkeeper in the final. Mm. I would kept, keep Petr Cech in it. Uh, based on that and based on everything we've seen from Arsene Wenger, I would be surprised if he stuck with Petr Cech if Ospina was back and fully fit. So, Yeah, okay. I mean, that's not what I wanted to hear, I'll be honest with you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I mean, look, it, it, what we would do and what you would do and what some of the listeners would do are often very different from the things that Arsene Wenger would do. And he has said down the years, you know, he's made a commitment to a guy, he's told him this is what's going to happen and... That's it. Now, for you know, for me, if I were Arsene Wenger, knowing what what the Europa League meant, not just for the club, not just for the success, not just for qualification for the Champions League, but for my own job, I wouldn't take the risk of playing Ospina in a final if an Ospina fi- if an Ospina mistake was to cost us the final. There is literally no forgiveness there, is there? Like none. So. Mm. That's That would be my thinking, but Arsene Wenger doesn't think like you or me or many other people, so I think he would just go with Ospina if Ospina is 100% fit, and I think that's the key issue. Um, if he's got an ankle problem and if it is hindering him in some way, then, uh, I mean, Czech played the semi-final last year, didn't he, in the, in, the, in the FA Cup? Played semi-final against Man City. Very good point. Mm. Very good point. So that's what's going to happen. I, I think... Yeah, I think Arsenal almost views it as a contractual thing. You know, Ospina's kind of made noises about potentially leaving Arsenal the past couple of summers. And I think probably a very uh, strict, very, sorry, did you say hang on there? Or did I imagine No, I just did a little, oh no. Oh, (laughs) I thought it was another chimney sweep intervention. No, no, no. But what I was going to (laughs) say is that... um, Yeah, I think think the conversation was probably very frank between them. It was, well, if you stay, you play the cup games. And I think... That's a deal that was struck. And I, I think you're right. Arsene Wenger won't waver from that, much mm. as I might want him to. Mm. Steve Geisman, who's at S. Geisman on Twitter, says, assuming both teams progress, would it be better to play Atletico over two legs in the semi-final or meet them for a one-off game in Lyon? One-off game, please. Oh, really? A one-off game. Yeah, I, I, I just think over two legs... I have no shame in saying I think Atletico are a more organised, better side than us. And I think that over two legs, that would out. I can just, um, you know, they're putting on a defensive masterclass at the Emirates. They are so good at the back. They are so good off the ball. I, I would say our best shot against them, you know, is 
is a one-off game. Like much like we beat Chelsea last season, much like we beat Manchester City last season. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily have fancied either of those ties over the course of of two legs. I know we beat Chelsea over two legs this mm. season, but it's not quite the same Chelsea side. What about you? I, I don't know why, but I have this gut feeling that I'd rather not face them in the final. Um, I'd rather play them in the semi-final than the final. I'd rather not face them at all, if that's an option. <laughs> it could, could well be. I mean, it's certainly the case, but I just, I don't know why I feel like this. I, I see your point entirely about a one-off game on the day. You could beat them. They do have a an iffy record in finals as well, don't they? They've lost a couple of European finals in recent years. Mm. A couple of heartbreaks. That's got to be part of the 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 psychological makeup of this team, this club and the manager and everything else. I just feel like over two legs, we might be able to do them. And, uh, uh, you know, on that kind of occasion, you know, I'm, I'm very much a man of science, James, as you know. And when it comes to finals, the law of averages, the, the irrefutable, immutable law of averages kicks in. They have to win one at some point. So that would be my fear there. I don't know why I feel like this. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm stupid for even thinking it. But if we had to play them, I think I'd rather play them over two legs. Well, it'd be a nice trip to Madrid for uh, for Mm. the semi, that's for sure. I mean, uh, they are the standout team, I think, uh, left in the competition. Mm. And there is an argument that you then head into the final in Lyon as the favourites, really, against whoever you face, which is Mm. a... An appealing idea, but I I feel Atletico, I think they're very strong. And I look, I think our best chance of this comp- winning this competition is not facing them at all. Yeah, um, someone else can do need- someone else deal with them, please. Yeah, that would be my ideal, to be honest with you. <laughs> all right. Have you got a question there, or is it my question? I can't yeah, remember. I've got one. Don't worry. It's from Oliver Till, who's at Oliver Till97. Um, I think that is his name, Oliver Till. I don't think he was Oliver until 1997 and then changed his identity. But <laughs> Oliver, we'll Oliver until 1997 and after that, Barry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, he says, and we had another couple of questions like this, I think Jamie Wilder too. Oliver says, thoughts on Shaka's improvement lately? It's like he's finally escaped from expectations that he was somehow a box-to-box midfielder and he's now simply sitting in front of the defence making interceptions and connecting defense and attack. I'm loving it. What have you made of Granite Xhaka in the last few weeks? I think we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, where we we noted a very obvious upturn in his defensive work, mm. where he seemed to address this issue that he had of switching off in the final third. It was like he did 90% of what he was supposed to do, and that final 10% seemed to escape him far too often. His brain melted, or he just he just switched off. And that 10% is very, very important. It's where you get punished, and we have been punished. So, yeah, I, I don't ever think there was really any issue or doubt about Jack's ability with the football or as a footballer. I think it was more about could he tie all the various parts of his game together. And I think he's done that quite well over the last few weeks. Um, you know, he, he's not going to be the greatest athlete of all time. He's not going to be the greatest tackler of all time. But he gives us something. He gives this team something when we play him that no other central midfielder gives us. Certainly none of the, the deeper-lying central midfield players give us. You know, we don't get it from El Nenny. We don't get it from Wilshire. Wilshire's not even being played in that position, I think. Mm. He is uh, upgradable, certainly, but in the current squad, he is uh, somebody who adds something to the team when we play well. 
Uh, you know, conversely, you could say he's part of the problem when we don't. But I think there's been an improvement. I think a lot of it is down to concentration and application. And I think that's, uh, yeah, it's it's worth uh, giving him a, a few little props for that. Yeah, yeah. I think he's simplified his role. And I think it's it's helped him. I mean, watching the performance last night, do, do you have any fear about the fact that when Ramsey does bomb forward like that, it does leave Shaka a little isolated and a better team might be able to exploit that? I know I yeah. couldn't help but think that. On a of course. Of but I suppose you've got to play the opposition you're you're facing, you know? You can only deal with what you're dealing with on the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, that's a fear. And... When it clicks for us in a, from an attacking point of view, it, it does offset that weakness as well. We talked about our defensive weakness, but it offsets our our midfield weakness. And we do still have one there. There's no question about it. But uh, yeah, I do wonder if there's a player out there who could really balance those two, you know, between Xhaka well, and Ramsey. And, uh, you know, if you could find the player who could who could fit with both of them, it could really tie everything together. Can I ask this question then? This is this is Paul Kenny, who's at Paul Kenny 101. And Paul says, with talk of bringing in a central midfielder during the summer, what type of central midfielder do you think we should look to bring in? A bruiser, a playmaker, a box-to-box type, defensive, or something different? I think that's a really good question. What is the, what is the type of central midfielder that we're looking for to bring balance to this team? Um... I guess, I don't know exactly, because it is hard to to think about what that player is or who exactly that player is. But, mm. you know, if you had somebody with Elneny's energy, with a bit more bite in the tackle, um, and who was a bit more content to sit uh, a little bit deeper in the midfield. But, uh, you know, it depends on what way Arsene Wenger sets up his midfield. You know, is it a midfield two? Is it Xhaka and Ramsey? Or is it a midfield three, for example? And if it's a three, do you play Mesut Ozil as, you know, your attacking midfielder in there? Um, I, I don't. I really don't know. I mean, somebody with a bit more of a defensive, naturally defensive uh, outlook to their game than anybody than we've got right now. Because I think Elneny is a link player, right? He's a guy who can who can operate in midfield with lots of other players. He'll keep things moving. He's metronomic. He's he's uh, efficient on the ball, but he's not really a defensive midfield player. We know that Granit Xhaka is not a defensive midfield player. We know that. Um, it's not his strength. His strength is distribution and being given time and space. And if you give him time and space in midfield, he'll find the passes and he'll open up the play. He's good at that. Ramsey, I suppose, is more traditionally perhaps a box-to-box midfield player. He's got the ability, the 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 stamina and the energy to do that, but clearly much more effective in the final third than he is going backwards. So you're looking at somebody, I think, who is defensively-minded, first and foremost, Mm. who's aware, who can read the game, who can um, deal with the spaces that we leave behind because we do leave a lot of spaces behind. So, uh, And that's not an easy job. That requires some physicality as well and stamina and athleticism uh, and a lot of qualities. And I don't know exactly who that player is, but when you look at the makeup of our midfield, uh, that seems to be the most obviously missing piece. Yeah, I think you're looking for someone who can play in a two with Ramsey, potentially. And then when you go, if you want to go with a three, can play alongside Ramsey and Shaka. And it's it's never easy to predict the chemistry 
that certain players will have or the way that, you know, who would have thought Santi Cazorla and Francis Coquelin, that will be <laughs> Arsenal's starting central midfield partnership, would never have been on anybody's agenda. Mm. Uh, but I do think that we do need someone, as you say, with some bite. I think we need someone with athleticism. You know, we've seen that even when Shaka is stationed defensively, he can get turned, he can get run past us. So I think we need someone who's an athlete in that part of the pitch. You know, I think back to the summer we signed Shaka uh, and Chelsea ended up with N'Golo Kante and it was kind of seen as a direct comparison between mm. the two. In some respects, if Arsenal had bought both, I know it's not easy to buy a player Chelsea are after, but it would have given them a lot of options in their midfield and a lot of balance. And when I think about Ramsey and the kind of central midfielder he is, you know, he's not really like a Fabregas type. He's more of a, a Gerrard. He's someone who gets forward, gets in the box, scores goals. And I, I look at Gerrard in the Liverpool teams, which got the best out of him. And when he played in central areas, he had two players behind him. He had Xabi Alonso, who's... You know, not a bad uh, analogy for Shaka in that, you know, he's a, a part, good passer over range, quite intelligent in his distribution of the ball. But he had a Mascherano in there too. Mm. And if we could find, I know he's an absolute bastard Mascherano, but I think that's sort of what we need. Uh, someone who is kind of very, very tidy on the ball, not necessarily the most adventurous. Kante would fit into that bracket too, although I think he's better technically than he gets credit for but really enjoys the, the the niggly side of the game, you know, winning the ball back, being smart positionally, elements of Gilberto too in terms of that tactical awareness. I know it will be easier said than done, but that's, I think, the kind of component we're looking for to, to complete our midfield because we don't really have that type of player. Mm. Yeah, we'll wait and see what they do in the transfer market. Uh, speaking of one of our central midfield players and Aaron Ramsey, lots and lots of questions from people about his contract um, and the future. Sam, who's at Sam J Horsefall, says, how important is it that we tie Aaron Ramsey down to a new deal and how do you rate our chances of being able to do so? And there was another question here. Um, bum, bum, bum. It was basically about what kind of pay grade Ramsey should be on. Can't find well, I mean, if, if 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 the decisions were being made last night, pretty much whatever he wants. But I mean, obviously, I appreciate that isn't how it works. Arsene Wenger was asked about this in his press conference. And to be honest, I was delighted to see him asked about it because I feel like we've talked so many contracts all season long and this one has been curiously absent on the on the agenda of most journalists. Oh, was he asked? Um, was was this the stuff that's uh, post? Ah, it's not out yet. It's not yeah, out maybe, yet. Maybe. So, so, what, I, what, so what, you, I can still say, I can still say this. I can still say this. Right. He was asked about it, and he was uh, somewhat unconvincing. You know, there was nothing concrete there. It was the mm. it was the usual stuff. The stuff we heard, admittedly that we heard about Alexis Sanchez, but also about Meza Ozil. Mm. So I would say that this is uh, something that's still very much in play and that, you know, we're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. It's difficult to be too confident for me. And I'll tell you why. This summer, Aaron Ramsey will have spent 10 years at Arsenal. That's a full decade. I mean, it's, it's great service. And in that period of time, he's had some real highs. He's scored FA Cup winning goals. He's had outstanding seasons. He's shone for Wales. But... I suppose a bit like Alexis Sanchez was, he is at the point where if he is ever going to move, if he's ever going to go anywhere else, I kind of think this is the time. I think Mm. he's 27 years old. He has spoken about being flattered by links to big clubs in the past, big continental clubs. Uh, And I do wonder if that will be in his mind that he thinks I've done 10 years at Arsenal. If I sign this new long-term contract, I'm pretty much signing up to my, my whole career there. And is that, necessarily what I want are they even going to be 
in the Champions League next season because he is a Champions League caliber player, no doubt at all about that. Um, in terms of what we'd pay him, I'd pay him. I think you've got to pay him at least what you're paying Aubameyang, Lacazette, Mkhitaryan. Yeah, that bracket of player, you know. Yep, I agree, and I tend to agree with you about the future and what the future might hold for Aaron Ramsey. I feel gut, it's a gut feeling, that's all. But I feel like he wants to experience something different uh, with his career that, you know, he's in a position where uh, at 27 years of age, his stock is pretty high. He'd have some good offers. Arsenal could get some money for him this summer. I mean, I don't know that we can replace him with what we get for him. Uh, I'll say that. Mm. But as much as we talk about the club and and criticise the club for not being able to tie players down to contracts, it really does take two to tango. So if a player has a desire or an ambition to go abroad and play abroad, the only way to satisfy that is to go and do it. Whatever money's on yeah. offer is is not really the thing. So... It really, really depends on what Aaron Ramsey wants to do. I can't believe for one second that Arsenal, as a football club, will not do everything they can to keep Aaron Ramsey because he is one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. He gives us so much when he's fit, and I'm taking into account all the caveats with regards to his fitness and everything else, but I can't believe that we wouldn't push the boat out to try and keep him. If we don't do that, we're fools. We're absolute fools. But if Ramsey wants to go and play somewhere else and uh, and experience a different country, a different language, different style of football, different coaching, then there's not much we can do about it. And my fear at this moment in time is that's where this is going. Yeah, I mean, it would be a shame to see it happen because if Ramsey stays at Arsenal, you know, having been with us since he was 17, he'd become a real icon of the club. I mean, he's essentially, a, a, in his senior career, a mm. one-club player, you know, apart from that brief spell at, at Cardiff and a couple of loan spells when he was returning from injury. He is so embedded in the club and he's someone Arsene Wenger really rates highly and speaks so fondly of, as he did last night. Mm. I, I, I would love to see him stay. I think when you watch the way he played uh it, uh the other night i just think you, you you know you see an extraordinary player who we've not always managed to get the best out of or support with the the right structure behind him but uh, yeah I, I worry i worry that this this might be a summer where he goes and also i i to be honest i worry about some of the noises coming out of the club about the amount of money we have to spend mm. you know that maybe we might have to sell someone in order to bring people in and there's talk of bellerin there's talk of ramsey those are both players I think we should be doing absolutely everything to keep if we're serious about progressing. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they can get something sorted. I mean, even a situation where Ramsey signs a new deal and, you know, he could still go somewhere at 28, 29 years of age. You know, if they can convince True. him that the next two years are worth staying with at Arsenal, then, you know, he's still got the chance to go abroad. But... uh yeah, they need to sort this one out because we can't have another saga hanging over us, um, you know, like Wilshire, like Mesut Ozil, like Alexis Sanchez. Uh, I know the, the Ozil thing worked out in the end, but we left that far too tight, so far too close for comfort anyway. So We did. Um, mm. You know, I, I wouldn't say we were lucky, but, you know, few predicted it would pan out that way. And it's not the same situation, but... 
and they're not the same class of player, in my opinion. Mm. I think uh, Oxlade Chamberlain. Sorry, I'm just talking about something else now. But I'm, I think Alex Oxlade Chamberlain's improvement this season has been vastly overstated. Mm. However, I'm sure Aaron Ramsey looks at his decision to leave Arsenal and sees him on the cusp of a, a place in a Champions League semi-final. And I know we ourselves are potentially in a Europa League semi-final, mm. but the Champions League is really where all the players want to be. Yeah, and he thinks, you know, is is Arsenal the place to be for me right now? Um, and that's the worry. Yeah. I, I really hope we can convince him, as we seem to convince Ozil, that we are capable of matching his ambitions and delivering him the success that I think his talent really, really does deserve. I mean, Aaron Ramsey is a player who deserves to win the Premier League in his in his career. Uh, and I, I would love to think that could be at Arsenal. Mm, me too. Um, we're going to have a couple of quick ones just to finish. I'll do this one. And then you, if you've got one more, uh, th- right, that'll yeah. be great uh, this one comes from Chris Dugan who's at Cigar Hudson who says hey chaps last night at the game with pals I listed seven first team players that I thought would rather pass the ball than shoot at goal as an exercise to nothing I wonder if you would perhaps list the same players as I did so who do you think the seven are seven seems a big number mm, well I can uh, think of I think Ozil is definitely one Ozil I'm guessing he would include a Wobi. Yeah, El Nani happened last night. El Nani, perhaps Wilshire. Uh, Wilshire. Uh, maybe Hector Bellerin. Maybe he likes a cutback, doesn't he, from those he positions? Does, but he likes to pop every now and again, Hector. Um, yeah, Monreal. You can't uh, say it about Monreal, can you? Because uh, yeah, he loves a shot. He's got a few goals, and Kalasinek has got a few goals as well. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if, if uh, this will be in his thinking, but Danny Welbeck potentially can be a bit shot-shy, can't he? But well, it's not that he doesn't try. Yeah, it's not yeah. that he doesn't try, he just misses the ball or falls over. I could name one player who would rather fall over than have a shot on goal. <laughs> can you guess who it was? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think Mkhitaryan's in that in that No, me neither. Because uh, he shoots and he scores. Yeah, I think mm. I'm sort of I'm running dry a little bit there because Shaka doesn't mind a shot. Ramsey obviously loves a shot of goal. Um, mm. Ozil, El Nani, Iwobi, Wilshire are the four that I have. Um, yeah, I mean, check, you know. You can no, take no, it right no. back if you want <laughs> we to. can't do that, but uh, yeah, I mean, centre centre halves. Um, I mean, Mustafi would have a go. I did like Mustafi's. Shani likes a go. Yeah, I did like Mustafi's like charge up the pitch last night, really late in the game. It was brilliant. It was, mm. He was like a fucking elephant that just got stung in the ring piece by a bee. And he just went charging up. I had no idea, <laughs> no idea why he was running. He was just running. Oh, fuck. That was it good. was the fastest I'd seen him move all night. I wish he'd just run like that, catch up with Musa in the first half a couple of times. But yeah, steaming up the pitch. I did enjoy that. I love a centre half. My favourite ever at that was Sol Campbell because it was just a question of momentum, wasn't it? It was like the juggernaut in X-Men. Once he started going, you just couldn't stop him. <laughs> okay, well, uh, um, I, Cigar Hudson, Chris can tell us on Twitter who the seven he uh, he uh, he chose were. We can only come up with four or five. Um, only four, really, so... I liked this question. It's, I, don't okay. know, I don't know if it qualifies as a quickie, but it's Atul Bardwaj on Twitter, who's Atul Bardwaj94. And Atul says, do Ozil, Mkhitaryan and Ramsey playing together like this remind you of Hleb, Rizisky and Sesk from the 07-08 season in any way whatsoever? No. Oh. Not really. <laughs> Not really. 
Do they? I think they did me a bit. Yeah. I think they did me a bit. Not yeah, really. Just, I, I think there's something different about the way, you know, Hleb and Rosicki were really busy. I mean, you could put Mkhitaryan in that kind of a, in that kind of bracket, maybe in the Rosicki. Oh, hang on. Hang on. We've got chimney sweep action. One sec. Chim, chimney, chim, chimney. Chim, chim, chiroo. I miss and Ross and Johan Juru. Andrew's gone to deal with that. Will he leave that in the podcast? That's the question. Will he even listen to it? He might just cut there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Chim, chimney, chim, chim, cheree. A sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. Chim, chimney, chim, chimney, chim, chim, cheroo. Good luck will rub off when I shake hands with you. Oh, blow me a kiss. Hello. Hello. Sorry about that. I was just down having a discussion with the chimney sweep there, and basically he wouldn't charge me because... Uh, there's something wrong with the lining of the... Uh, we've got a stove, you know, one of those wood-burning stoves? There's something right. wrong with the lining of the stove, which requires uh, it to be fixed, and he doesn't want to get paid for it, because if he gets paid for it, uh, he has to take responsibility for the job, and if we die, then he doesn't want us to die on his watch. So that's uh, positive chimney sweep news for you there. Wow. Mm. That's quite exciting. It, well, yeah, he said, uh, get a carbon monoxide alarm immediately. <laughs> so, uh, okay, yeah, fair play. I think we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to work on that. So, uh, we're finishing, what were we talking about? Oh, Rosicki, Kleb and Fabregas, Ramsey, Ozil. Kleb and, mm. yeah, which one's like Flamini or something? I can't remember. 0708. I tell you what, it, was, it only reminded me of it a little bit in terms of the the interchanging of positions and the the understanding between them, but it's very, very early days. But listen, let me get a little bit overexcited. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fair enough. That's that fair. fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, let's see. Do we have one more to finish? I'm not sure I do. I'm not sure I do. Most of them were just like, please, please make sure Arsenal give Aaron Ramsey the money, as if it's in our hands, you know, if we talk about it enough. They'll they'll pay him what he wants, but uh, sadly not. Yeah, yeah. We're, well, we're, we we can just hold out some hope, can't we? Oh, well, we'll try. Yeah. If you're listening, Stan, <laughs> open yeah. the wallet. Oh, here's a strange one. Rob Walker. Andrew, my girlfriend yeah. thinks you sound like Brian from Family Guy. Hey, a little bit, I think. What, really? Yeah. I think that's I think that's good. I mean, let us know if you disagree. If you've got good sound alikes for people on the podcast, mm. then I, I'd be interested to hear them. But I think that's I've heard. I mean, obviously the accent is different, but the quality of own, right? There's something in it. Okay, he says, "What what's your best impression?" I can't, you know, obviously. What is your best impression? I guess Arshavin. I don't know. Arshavin would have been yeah, the good. That is uncanny. Uncanny. Or, yeah. Or oh, Neil Ashton. Uh, you know, uh, Sunday supplement here. Uh, Neil Ashton. That's good as well. It's good. Uh, to my left, uh, an absolute cunt. Uh, to my right, another big cunt. And ahead of me, uh, another cunt who uh, works in Fleet Street, Neil Ashton. Uh, anyway. It is maddening to <laughs> that show. I, it is absolutely maddening. I never watch it because it's on too early on a Sunday morning for me to turn the television on. It's like, I am not watching TV at that stage. No chance. So Fair. 
Fair enough. Okay, well, look, um, we've got Southampton on Sunday. It's going to be change orama, I think, for that. We'll uh, we wait and see what Arsene Wenger does. But James, thank you for uh, filling in and for having nothing better to do on a Friday than to, to do a podcast with me. And we'll be back on Monday uh, with another one. So until then. Tune in to the Sunday supplement, guys. I'll be there. I'll be the cunt on the right. Bye-bye. <laughs> This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.